0: When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product inventing, boundary pushing, design obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. We're taking a deep dive into ASEAN in the following podcast, talking with founders and investors from one of the world's fastest growing startup ecosystems. From Singapore to Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, Jakarta, and other parts of the region, hear how entrepreneurs are tackling this massive market, what investors are hunting for, and why startups are having such an impact across all dimensions in this part of the world. Welcome to the AWS Startup Podcast. I am here virtually with Ned Lowe, who is the CTO of Singapore-based fintech company Sing Life. Ned, welcome.
1: Very good to be here. Nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you. And I want to check in. Uh, How are things? How is everyone, uh, you and yours in Singapore doing?
1: Uh, We're okay. We're okay out here. We're just coming out of our uh, what we call the circuit breaker, which was a sort of lockdown. And so life is beginning to get back to normal. We can go to restaurants, go to bars, uh, in small groups with social distancing, but uh, it's nice to get out of a house.
0: I am jealous because the food in Singapore is so good. And of course, if you can't get (laughs) on the streets, so eat some for me. That's all I can say. Absolutely. So tell us about Sing Life. You guys are uh, this breed of new fintech company, and Southeast Asia seems to be really good at, at both um, conceiving of and growing them. Sing Life, you guys have started as a life insurance company, um, as it were, but uh, you guys are expanding.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So we are we are definitely a life insurance company. We are a, a regulated life insurance company. And we actually were the the first uh, local life insurance company to get a a license in Singapore in about uh, 40 plus years. So that that was really cool. We started off with a sort of a vision of taking uh, just, let's say, traditional life insurance uh, processes and products and putting them online, uh, bringing them to the customer digitally. In particular, things like uh, getting the sign-off and uh, on, on, on the signature on your policy was something that had always been done face-to-face with, with wedding previously. So, so that was the initial uh, ambition. And to be honest, that ambition was achieved. Uh, that was cool. But then my boss, Walter Duda said, OK, what do we do next? Where, where do we go from here? And what we had discovered over that first period was that technology could be used to uh, really change the entire game. So instead of just taking an existing process and, and putting it online, you could think much bigger than that. And so, what we started thinking about was, well, what does the customer really want? Um, life insurance is a is a difficult product. Uh, the, the the joke is that it's uh, sold not bought, and no one wakes up in the morning and says, "Hey, I want to buy life insurance." Today's the day. Yeah. <laughs> Today is the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unless unless typically uh, there's been some kind of tragedy, right? Maybe right. a death in the family. Someone's uh, received bad news around cancer. Something like that, and you think, "Oh, oh, you know, I've got to got to think about." My myself here. So so that's a pretty negative buying journey. And, and so we, we thought, okay, well, how do we interact and engage with uh, the customer in a way that is a much more sort of positive uh, experience? And that led us down a path of, of going for a mobile-first experience, and probably more importantly, coming up with products that had a much higher engagement with the customer, stuff that you would use day in, day out. Right. And so, we uh, we conceptualized uh, a product which we call the Sing Life Account. It's a uh, instant liquidity, everyday insurance account. And what I mean by that is you can put money in to your policy and take uh, money out of your policy anytime. Zero zero fees, no lock in. But we could also give some return on that. So we give a two point five percent return on any money that's sitting inside the policy. So you get a bit of insurance but you get access to your money.
0: Interesting. So it's not quite a bank account. You're not technically, I mean, you are registered obviously, but, um, huh, that's an interesting vehicle. And is that something that is unique to Singapore in that market? Or is that that vehicle and that instrument common elsewhere?
1: To my knowledge, it's, it's unique in the entire world. Uh, and if anyone's listening to this and can give me an an example of somewhere else in the world, I'd love to see it. But yeah, so it's an insurance product. You say it's not a bank account and, it gives you that uh, instant return and then what we did uh, was we attached a visa card to it so we put a debit card onto the insurance policy so that you can draw down you can do a partial withdrawal of your policy by swiping the card in in a in a store we don't charge any fx rates on that so so it's as good as any of the sort of the travel cards that you've seen uh, advertised uh, so we think this is a really compelling product and then once we got that that as a, a sort of a vehicle of this sort of interest crediting account, we then taken our existing life insurance products and, and put them onto the say, onto the side, into the same mobile experience. So you've got, let's say, $10,000 sitting in your uh, account, earning 2.5%, but then you decide you want uh, some market returns. So you say, OK, I'm going to move $2,000 across into an ILP, uh, an investment link policy, where you get maybe 4% return. But then uh, market conditions change, your personal conditions change, your risk appetite goes down, you have a kid, whatever, you go, whoosh, move your money back into the uh, the core uh, account. I see. Yeah. So, And similarly, we'll pop up and say, hey, people your age will typically have $200,000 of life insurance. If you'd like to purchase that and pay for it using the interest that you're earning from your, your main account, click OK. And now you've got life insurance. It's a little more complicated than that, and um, a couple of, of questions, but not much more.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, so th- this leads into my next sort of set of questions. I mean, like if you are the CTO. What you describe is this very um, customer centric experience, allowing me to you know have life insurance, have this account that I can sort of move around, move in and in a, in move in and out of as i see fit given circumstances and right. and conditions and you know the, that thing i want to buy at the store for that matter and so all that customer attention is fantastic for your customers as the cto it's, it can't be as easy as all that to deliver it. so sure. what what problems are you having to solve and how do you view that
1: like i guess the biggest problem, but also opportunity is just around uh, time to market. And we're, we're having all of these great ideas. And as the saying goes, ideas are easy, uh, execution is hard. And converting ideas into something that can then be put out into the market before other people do it, because you know, oftentimes these ideas aren't unique is, is a real challenge. And, and so we've, we've constructed a methodology at Singlife, uh, heavily dependent on AWS, uh, to be honest, uh, around experimenting, getting products out there yeah. and then failing fast and, and killing anything that's not working. Um, to, that Singlife account that I, I talked about from, from ideation to being, uh, in market was about, uh, nine months and to be able to do that that quickly, we, put up a, a pretty simple uh, set of initial services uh, just so that we could test it all out, make sure it worked end to end, and then iterated the hell out of it. Just keep on going in a circle, find a bit that could be done better, could be done more scalable, clean it up, release again. And 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 that approach is, is very important.
0: That, I mean, especially in a regulated industry and, and an industry like yours that is kind of predicated on trust um, and sort of solidity, how do you balance that speed, that experimentation, with kind of knowing that the cake is baked and ready to, to go out there?
1: Yeah, um, it's a great point. And we very much respect uh, the regulator. Um, as, as I say, we uh, are a fully regulated, licensed uh, company. And, and so that's core to our DNA. I, I think it comes back to the uh, guardrails, not speed bumps mm-hmm. argument. That we've constructed an environment where the the guardrails are pretty tough. We have used all the common AWS services uh, from that perspective in terms of things like you know config rules and and and, and things like that to ensure that uh, anything that is done is is done in a in a way that would be completely compliant. Right. So you're absolutely correct. That. Uh, it, it's essential that we get that bit right.
0: So you've this foundation. This is what I find fascinating. You 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 make it. You build this foundation within AWS and and within your own technology that has that very you know compliant core, and then that allows you to. To move quickly and also to, to be creative, it sounds like, um, which must be great for your engineering team and for you.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and, and I think also on, on that, just something you were talking there about the core, is that the level of experimentation and the level of iteration, it, I, I call it the complexity pyramid, that at the base of the pyramid, you have the data. And that's really hard to move. And you've got to be very careful and the decisions you make there are much more sort of uh, long lasting. Then the next layer up on your pyramid is the the middleware and the processing and the integration. And there you can be a lot more flexible um, and particularly if it's got if it's non-persistent in terms of data, but the uh, the security and the compliance that goes along with that is is well, still essential, of course. But you if you're not persisting data, it's 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 a bit easier. And then at the top of the pyramid, you have the interfaces and the UI. And there, I just say to the engineers, go crazy, right? Do whatever you want to do. Right? Try twenty different ideas. Release ten times a day because that's a, a much easier thing to experiment and play around with. But that's ultimately what the customer sees, and what is a small change on the UI and you know the the security and compliance implication is is negligible might change a user behavior completely, even if all of the data and the processing and the storage stays exactly the same.
0: Right, right. Don't take this the wrong way. You're a CTO, okay? But but you seem to have an incredible. Um, you know, depth of knowledge and kind of detail and, and, and maybe even, um, you know, you like engaging with customers and, and that side of things. How do you kind of straddle both worlds, both the technical and then really getting in deep with customers and, and so then you can translate their needs into, you know, what would become features and services?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, You're absolutely correct. You know, I'm I'm a geek at heart. I'm a technologist. I I have been my whole life, but um, I'm ultimately the reason I I do technology is is customer outcomes. Uh, From the very, very first time I uh, was, I don't know, eleven or something, and I I built a fuse tester for my for my mum. It was the most simple thing ever, but seeing sort of a a smile on a face test these fuses, uh, you know, that was always that was always the the outcome for me and
0: i have to ask what kind of fuses was your mom testing was this in a car was (laughs) this in some other like spaceship she was building
1: No, 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 no. Just just normal uh, uh, fuses for, for plugs. Oh, okay. And it was the simplest little circuit ever. It was just an LED, a resistor, a battery, and two uh, endpoints for you to put the, the fuse across. But that was enough for me. <laughs> That's great. I, I I went on and did a, a degree in electronic engineering pretty much on the back of that, that experience. Right. So, uh, yeah. Um, so so yeah, so customer outcomes is absolutely the, the most important thing for me. But at the same time, I'd say that I learned that maybe the hard way is that um, I worked in technology in, in investment banking for a long time. And I think that... At some point, uh, I became more interested in the tech than than the, the outcome. And I, I remember I moved roles and, and sat on the trading floor for a few years. Um, and seeing the traders use the software really brought it home to me that, you know, this is real stuff being used by real people, and uh, what might be a quick assumption made by a technologist might have huge implications to the to the end user. And that you have to start with the user and work backwards. You have to start with the customer and work backwards. Otherwise, you're you're making all sorts of assumptions that you don't necessarily realise you're making.
0: Right, And you paint those customers or would-be customers into a corner, and either they, they love it and or and maybe they have no choice, but uh, or they don't, and uh, they walk quickly. Yeah, I think that's that's an endless uh, another discussion, but I, I do think that that people like you who are able to translate the needs of a customer into products and services and software, let's put it that way, I'm endlessly fa- fascinated by, and, and it's not easy, that's for sure. Let me ask about Singapore and Southeast Asia, and then I want to get into these four questions. But it does seem like Singapore as a nation state and that region is much more inclined toward sort of modern financial services in many ways more than any other place in the world. So am I right in that sort of observation, and why do you think that might be?
1: I use a whole bunch of reasons. I think a couple that are very important is just around the sort of a socioeconomic reality and and, and the geopolitical reality of the ASEAN grouping, which is, you know, 10 different countries with completely different levels of wealth, levels of regulation, levels of infrastructure. And when you look at the, the larger markets, when you look at the US or somewhere like that, it's big enough to have a very strong internal domestic market, right, of course. Right. And if you look at the European Union, it's it's much more fragmented, but yet it has uh, a consistent set of policies. You can do uh, passporting of, of your uh, license. So if you get a license in Germany, you can serve anywhere in EU, for example. Um, and that isn't true in, in ASEAN. So just because I have a license here in Singapore doesn't mean I can do business just across the border in, in Malaysia. Right. That leads to a a lot of sort of innovative thinking about, okay, well, what's right for this particular market? What's going to work with this language group? What's going to work with this set of regulation? But then once you get it right in one country, you can start jumping around and replicating that success in in other countries. Uh, And so that's very much what we're trying to do here at SingLife. Of course, we're Singapore-based. We're now in the philippines as well we haven't launched a product yet uh, but it's coming very soon yep. and we're going to be announcing a, a third market uh, pretty soon and and singapore tends to be sort of the, the testing ground for that it's got a very technology positive uh, regulator who has uh, like the, i don't know if you've ever come across something called the fintech festival but it's uh, run in singapore with, with governance support and is absolutely huge yeah I can't remember how many people it was last year sixty thousand people or something. Oh wow,
0: that is absolutely huge. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and, and the, the the speakers that we get, you know, we had Modi, we had Lagarde, um, you know, we we had Trudeau. I think it, it's it's crazy. <laughs> uh, and, and and so people come to Singapore, they experiment, they test, they do ideas, uh, and then when things are working, they can they can expand out around the region.
0: As a center of gravity, you guys are lucky too in the sense that I know people. Um, and this is by design, like to come to Singapore to start their company um, from all over the world. And yeah. you see that over and over. Let's jump into these four questions. And um, we like to ask them, everyone. And uh, you're a, a CTO, so, you know, these can be technical answers, if you like, or it could, can be sort of non-technical. Sure. What is a tool you use on a regular basis? Something you kind of can't live without?
1: Uh, well, can't live without, um, unfortunately, is, is pretty mundane, is, 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 your, is your Outlooks, your, your Jira's, and your, <laughs> uh, your, your wikis, I'm afraid. But uh, let me try and give you something a little more interesting. When we first started doing all this work from home um, stuff, we immediately within technology were like, well, what about whiteboarding? Ah. Something that had been so key in, in the past and what we've been uh, playing around with now is, is a bunch of the online whiteboarding tools. And I've got to say that I wish that we had been using them before, right? That it's taken, you know, as the joke goes, what led to digital transformation in your company? Was it the CEO, the CIO? Was it COVID-19? That we have adopted a whole bunch of these uh, collaboration tools now that, that are better than anything we had had previously. And the, and the fact that once we do a whiteboard session, we've got you know people, we, we have um, partners in, in Sri Lanka, in Vietnam, in India, who are helping us build some of our products. And, and previously, when we were on a whiteboard, the people in the room had a massive advantage over the people not in the room. And by sort of democratizing it, making it so we're all on the same page for the that's that's given us really successful outcomes plus once you've completed the whiteboarding session you can obviously just say that right whereas a whiteboard typically you'll take a photograph and then wipe it off and then never look at the photograph ever again yeah
0: yeah that's interesting and so it it sounds to me like that's something that's both working incredibly well now but that's a keeper going forward
1: definitely definitely And, and 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 i've been i i call it distributed by default this is my my new thing, which is how do we come up with processes, tools, team structures that assume distributed teams? Once you start going down that path, you you actually come to a, a whole, you know, why would you even necessarily hire in the same country if you're Team is distributed, and I don't mean using vendors and outsourcing partners, I mean, you know, having full, fully badged thing Life staff that are maybe all over the world, and uh, like we're not there yet, but <laughs>
0: looking for the best talent wherever they are. Yeah, I, I think exactly people are coming to that realization, and it's an interesting balance between, you know, look, I'm looking forward to going back to the office and being around, you know, my team and other teams for that matter. But I do like the flexibility and the power of what we're, what we're sort of right. unlocking now, um, working in a different way, um, just because we have to. Right. A leadership practice or routine, something you do with your team um, or have done in the past with other teams um, that you really think works?
1: Yeah, I, am, I think one that's really important to me And sometimes, uh, particularly technologists, it takes them a little bit of time to uh, get used to it, is what uh, I call think out loud. Um, Now, I'm stealing that a little bit from uh, David Marquette and turn the ship around. Um, But think out loud is basically as you're going through a decision making process or as you're uh, repeating an activity that perhaps you've repeated several times, you can sometimes do that in complete silence. And that doesn't give any sort of contextual awareness or any, any cues to the people around you about what what you're doing. Sometimes that's okay. If you're in a very small team and you're all co-located, then that kind of works fine. But once you get into larger teams and once you're particularly in a distributed environment it can it can really uh, cause a lot of confusion so let me give a couple of examples right let's say that there's some kind of production outage and you're the best engineer suited to fix that production outage so you immediately jump in and start fixing it but if the other people around you don't know that that's happening, then everyone's running around being like, "Oh, is someone fixing this? What's going on?" The business is coming to you and saying, "What's the update? What's the update?" And then the engineer pops up and says, "Done. I'm a hero." It's like, "No, you're not a hero. <laughs> right? You, you've just, you've just, you've just lost like complete confidence with the business because no one knew what was going on." And so, by thinking out loud, by saying, "I will now fix this. I will be looking at this," and just by continuously sending signals out you can cause a much broader impact than just jumping in and fixing something. So I I like open uh, open Slack rooms and things like that where people are just sort of giving updates about what's going on.
0: I have two questions about that. Uh, one, it seems like it's also an opportunity for others. You know, if you're the, the best engineer to go fix that thing, you can teach people along the way how to fix that thing. Yeah. You know, maybe when the, when, the, when the fire is a little bit out, right? But if I can observe you doing your thing, you know what you're doing, but like maybe I can learn along the way.
1: Absolutely.
0: My other question, though, is, is like, how do you get perhaps... Younger engineers or less experienced folks to to do that and to have the confidence, really, to do
1: that. Younger engineers are, uh, are not the problem. <laughs> those guys, <laughs> okay. Those guys okay. are easy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's the senior engineers who are like, oh, what are you talking about, Ned? You're crazy. Uh-huh. And who 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 have developed patterns that are harder to break. I see. And so for these guys, well, for, for a start, you, you lead by example, right? And, and so getting the people um, around you who have a, a higher sort of propensity for communication and, and getting the behaviors set with those people, and then it sort of trickles out to everyone. No one wants to be the first person to be on a quiet chat room right. and start just posting random stuff. Um, but once everyone's doing it, it becomes it becomes quite uh, fluid. I see.
0: A lesson learned. Now, this could be something that you were happy to learn, or something that you were less than happy to learn and wished you would never learn again.
1: <laughs> okay, so uh, I would say maybe this is more a, I'm a lesson I'm learning. Okay, uh, that's, I'm fair, still, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. I'm still I'm still trying to get this one, and I I, I recently took one of these psychometric tests and uh, the one I took was called Strength Finders. And I think that these uh, are, are very positive things to do and, and that you can learn things about yourself. And, and, and I think it's something that everyone should at least experiment with. Um, but anyway, so this particular thing, it came out and it, it said, you know, your 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 top strength is is called futuristic, uh, which is, you know, you you envisage a, a future and then work towards it. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah that's cool. That, that sounds like me. But then the text that goes along with that is, um, remember that some people don't think in that same way. And if you don't bring people along that journey with you, and if you don't sort of explain to people why you're jumping to that future state, then you, you've lost them. You've you've lost the people. And so I'd say that for startup people and, and founders, they're often going to be these sort of futuristic kind of people. They envisage a future that, that is better, otherwise they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But the engineers and the people around them might not think the same way or, or might not take the same number of jumps in mental logic. And just explaining the, the, the reasoning or the, the steps along the, along the way uh, is essential to get buy-in from those people. And I'd say that's something I'm still, I'm still learning.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. As a journalist, you know, you get so steeped in talking to people like you in, in my journalism days and, and others that you kind of live in this future and you assume also that everybody else does, like you say, that, that, that they're there already. And so people for people like you and engineers, you kind of are living in this future that other people will get to. But if you reach back, and whether it's customers or whether it's just people outside of your sphere... I, I always have to check myself because we do tend to assume that everybody is like keeping up for whatever reason and they're not. And, and sometimes it's for good reason too. I, I always like to be reminded of, you know, if there's some like service of the week in, you know, in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley that people are going, you know, crazy over and you, you go to New York and they're like, yeah, what? Like, why do I need to care about that? And you're like, oh yeah, maybe yeah. you don't. And finally, in all your vast spare time, which I know you don't have, uh, what are you binging on? What are you reading, watching, listening to? um, Can either be for fun or it can kind of be to to keep you up to snuff?
1: Uh, I'd say that the thing I mentioned before around distributed teams is something that's really fascinating me right now and and the sort of distributed by default thinking. So the the Basecamp guys... Uh, right, Jason Fried and um, David uh, Heinemeier Hansen, yep. uh, DHH, <laughs> yep. DHH are really, I'd say, leading the curve on that, and they've they've got a whole bunch of books which which I've been reading recently uh, about. Uh, distributed work and how to make the office experience or the working experience better, and, and off the back of that, well, you know, the internet these days is just a spider's web, right? And and once you once you start pulling a thread, you you, you don't know what rabbit hole you're going to go down. Um, so there's there's so many. Techniques and 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 ways of thinking around this that uh, is is new to me. Uh, one I was just reading about recently was uh, silent meetings. Uh, if someone, if you haven't read about silent meetings before, Google it. It's amazing. I've been experimenting with that with my team, and I think there's a, a whole bunch of stuff we could be doing better in this in this arena.
0: Well, um, Ned Lowe, CTO of Sing Life, I want to thank you so much. I think, you know, everything from whiteboards to uh, bringing people along into your future. Um, I love this notion of thinking out loud um, and what that entails and how, how, again, that's kind of how you can bring people along. Um, But also this, your obsession with distributed work and... um, Things like silent meetings. Seems like you are living in the future, and which Singapore is kind of <laughs> Singapore is kind of like that. I'll be honest. So right, right, yeah. Well, really appreciate your time, and um, uh, you know, what's next for Sing Life? What's what's something we should be keeping an eye out for?
1: There's going to be a couple of product launches in Singapore to make that Sing Life mobile even more amazing, and after that, we'll be will be as I say announcing some regional expansion, and and so it's. You know, it's very early. It's day one on our journey and uh, we've got a long way to go and I'm super excited for it.
0: Well, Ned, thanks so much for joining us. And um, I am jealous of your food, so go out and enjoy some later today and <laughs> uh, 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 and I will wish I were there eating it with you.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: If you are looking to get started on the cloud with AWS, our Activate program provides startups with a host of benefits, including AWS credits, technical support, training, and other resources to help grow your business. Head to aws.amazon.com backslash activate for more. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at Amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.